I wasn't in pain or anything. I was just, I just could not, I could not talk. And I bent down and I felt her head was, she was coming out. And for an insane moment, I was like, I'll just hold her in till help arrives. We believe that not just babies are born, mothers are born too. We're your hosts, Lara, a labor and delivery nurse and aspiring midwife, and Melissa, a mother and doula. Welcome to Motherbirth, a space for thought-provoking and inspirational conversations about birth and the deep exploration of what it means to become a mother. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Motherbirth today. Lara and I are here, and we are interviewing a special guest who lives in Sweden. Her name is Lisa Furland, and she's a U.S. Um, expat who wrote actually a couple of books. Her first book was called Knocked Up Abroad, and I think she just recently launched a second book called Knocked Up Abroad Again. And these are collections of stories of women who have uh, both given birth and parented abroad. So Lisa, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll get into your story. Thanks. Yes, I'm happy to be here. Um, We've been living in Sweden for the past five and a half years, and uh, the whole Noctub Abroad journey came when I became pregnant with my second child and saw how different sort of the whole process was from my U.S.-based pregnancy Mm. compared to my Swedish-based pregnancy. So that was sort of the inspiration, and turns out there are a lot of women who also have completely different experiences when they're giving birth abroad. So Mm. that was how it all started. Have all of the people that are in your books, have they all experienced both, um, you know, a, a birth in their country of origin and a birth abroad or just kind of a variation? Yeah, not necessarily, but they all come with preconceived notions from their home culture as to how pregnancy and birth should go, technically, you know, in air quotes, and um, experience it completely differently when they're living in a foreign country. So it's all about the cultural dynamic and sort of the discord that happens when you're a fish out of water. Right. Yeah, it's so interesting. And we've had a few people on the show share individual stories about this exact concept and I'm so interested Mm -hmm. about that kind of like you're saying that pairing of like the experience that you're having and then the historical knowledge because I think that's something most women have in general but then when you put it in a different cultural context different health system different support different follow-up it kind of just puts those like personal beliefs either kind of turns the burner on for those to become more important or it does the opposite I feel like with women which is kind of really cool Yeah, exactly. I find it so fascinating just to hear how all these women have solved sort of the same problem, but in such different ways, depending on where they Mm. are and what the cultural context of where they're from, how that all plays together. So it's it's really I find it fascinating. I love I love talking with other women about it, as as you do Um, in terms of all the different experiences. You know, there's just so much drama inherent in giving birth and then. Uh, there's even more there's drama in living abroad and so when you put the two together it really it makes for an interesting story yeah have you seen the story that's kind of circling around the internet right now of the lady who um, was pregnant uh, while sailing in sort of I think the down southeast Asia area have you seen that story yet no I don't think so yeah, it's really it's really cool. They're basically sailing around the world, and she ends up doing all of her prenatal care in kind of all these various different Southeast Asian places. She ends up giving birth in New Zealand, um, and it's it's just a really really cool story. We'll, we'll share a link to that uh, in the show notes as well for anyone that wants yeah. to check it out. But yeah, yeah your yeah, story reminded something. me of that. 
yeah, it's just something kind of viral right now because she kind of got uh, prenatal care in every port, which I feel like that's yeah. got to be a totally different kind of experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's so Seriously. crazy. <laughs> Definitely. So why don't we rewind a little bit to the start of your journey? It sounds like you had your first baby in the U.S. Um, and you want to tell us about that, you know, your sort of initiation into into your journey to motherhood? Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I it was kind of funny because when we before we started trying to get pregnant, I asked my husband, I was like, okay, if you're going to leave me, like do it now before we have a kid. Cause once we have mm-hmm. a kid, it's going to get a lot messier. If you know, if you have any doubts at all, now is the time to decide. He just looked at me like I was crazy. Um, <laughs> but we, we ended up getting pregnant right away, which was surprising because we had a trip to Ecuador that was planned. And, um, I was going in for my vaccinations, you know, the yellow fever and typhoid and all those other vaccines. And the travel nurse, she just paused for a minute. She was like, is there any chance that you could be pregnant? And I was like, no, I don't think so. And she's like, what do you mean you don't think so? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Like we just started to try. And she was like, well, then I'm not going to give you a vaccine and you need to, Mm. you know, get a pregnancy test and do all these things. And so I was waiting and waiting, waiting. There was all the home pregnancy tests came back negative. She was not satisfied. She was like, well, you're, you don't have your period and these are negative. So I don't, I don't believe you. Let's go get a, (laughs) a a blood drawn pregnancy test. And yeah, two days later she called me and she said, I've never done this before because I'm a travel nurse. Like I'm a vaccine nurse, but you're pregnant. Uh, (laughs) So that's how I found out I was pregnant. And then we headed off to Ecuador (laughs) where there's yellow fever and mosquitoes and scorpions and tarantulas and all the crazy stuff that I was terrified of as a newly pregnant person. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, we went anyway and everything was fine. And I felt great. I think when I was, I was very early on in my pregnancy. And so it was, it was nice. It was an adventure, but, um, it was, it was an adventure to find out how I was pregnant. The only, the only yeah. reason I found out was because I was going to get my travel vaccines. Right. I mean, you would have obviously found out in the yeah. following few weeks anyways. Yeah, but exactly. Just kind of the, exactly. it's almost like this built in, you know, like drama to, to the story. Yeah. I love yeah. that. <laughs> she was like, how can you not know if you're pregnant or not? I'm like, I don't know. Uh, but no, so, so that was fun. Yeah. Interesting too, that she, she seemed to have like some level of intuition about it. You know, she was like, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep like pushing. Yeah, like the the vaccine needle was hovering above my arm, and she's like, eh, "Hang on a minute," <laughs> and she put it back down. And she's like, "I I think we need to take a test." I was like, "Okay." I I will say I am this person, and maybe it's if you're like a nurse or a medical background, but right. I am the person to my friends are like, "Well, I guess I mean I could be," and I'm like, "We'll take a test." Right, and they're like, "Well, you know, like I'm just gonna see. I'm only like so and so days late," and I'm like, "Well, you don't know if you're not pregnant." They're like, "Well, like the odds of me being pregnant are really small." It's like. I, I need yeah. you to do something concrete right now. <laughs> like, yeah. It takes away from the sense of the the wonder. <laughs> I'm like, well, you yeah. can find out, you know, in like two minutes. <laughs> yeah. Go pee on a stick. You're like, yeah. here, they're right. a dollar. Yeah. Go pee yeah. on a stick. Yeah, yeah exactly. seriously. Um, so how long were you in Ecuador? Uh, we were only there for 10 days. and But okay. we, we went all around. We were in the Amazon and then up in the mountains and then in Quito, which was hiking an active volcano and doing all this adventurous stuff. It was supposed to be Mm -hmm. our last adventure before kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, as sort of like, you know, okay, this will be a big fun vacation. And then I was just terrified the whole time because there were all these bugs and 
Yeah. There's, you know, tropical rainstorms and the, the roof was caving in. And so it, there was a lot, there was a lot going on. Yeah. It's a great initiation to pregnancy. Yeah. To, yeah. For sure. So you come back to the U.S. Um, and tell us about the rest of your pregnancy and your birth experience. I think everything was pretty standard as far as uh, my U.S. pregnancy goes. I went every month for my prenatal care, and when it came time, I, of course, I went into labor at 7 p.m. on a Friday night after working all week, and um, so I was exhausted. I was absolutely exhausted and just not mentally prepared at all, and my mm -hmm. midwife had said, you know, it's no problem. Just get an epidural. Like, you don't need to fight this fight. Just relax. Get an epidural, and so I did. So I had epidural, and had the baby, I want to say like eight hours later. So it was really simple, um, mm -hmm. straightforward. Absolutely. I felt no pain. So that was amazing. Yeah. And I was a, a lover of the epidurals. Like this worked out so great. Yes, of course. I recommend this to everybody. Uh, and yeah, it was, it was a beautiful experience and very comfortable. And I had, I had no problems. It was a pretty standard labor and delivery on, as far as that goes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It sounds like it was short and short and sweet as they yeah. as they would say <laughs> had you talked with your care provider in advance about wanting to choose an epidural or was that kind of like an in the moment decision no i had definitely i i did not plan at all for a natural birth because i was very scared i was very scared mm -hmm. of the birth process and you know i'd heard horror stories and it just sounded like uh yeah i didn't know what to expect of course it's your first time you have no idea and so i was just nervous about it i was like okay if i get an epidural I know I'll be okay. So I was really, I put all of my eggs into that basket. I'm like, this epidural yeah, has yeah. to work. Um, so looking back on it, I wish I had eased my fear with education instead sure. of relying on the epidural. But that was that was what I did at that time. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's a pretty pretty natural, you know, way to to prepare. I think many people do just that you know yeah yeah so do, did you do any prenatal education or whether that was like a course that you took or any books that you read or anything I did yes I read up on we I did the whole course with you know you hold ice cubes in your hand and try to visualize the pain away and all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff with with everybody else and as well as a breastfeeding course and I think that was it I think just sort of a, a labor and delivery course and then the breastfeeding course Mm -hmm. but yeah. that was I didn't read so many books I just kind of well maybe I mm -hmm. did I, I think I read what to expect when expecting was totally disappointed I'm like I right. still don't know what to expect uh it just seemed like everything you could expect anything to happen and it would be right. okay I'm like okay great <laughs> yeah that's it's an interesting dynamic or an interesting balance to try to find with education around you know pregnancy and and birth and postpartum transitions because you do want people to have you know to have sort of this open-minded approach to understanding that things can go a million different ways without like leaving it so open-ended that it that they feel like they can't prepare and they can't sink into any like particular emotional relationship with what is going to happen to them you know yeah it's a really exactly. hard balance to find it is. It's really hard. And it's hard to get too married to one type of vision of, okay, my mm -hmm. birth is going to look like this. Because yep. then if it doesn't work out that way, then you're going to feel disappointed or like you failed in some aspect. Yep. And so I was really hesitant to commit to visualizing my birth or, or anything like that. And we didn't mm -hmm. know, we didn't know what the 
the sex of the baby was going to be. So I had, I really was not envisioning a baby at all. So when I did have the baby, they were like, well, what's his name? I didn't even know it was a boy until mm. he was born. I'm like, I don't know names. Like my brain was not thinking at all. And so I had, I really kind of went into it blind without preparation, without any type of education or planning or you know, we had names, but I hadn't committed on one. And so it was, it was very kind of a, a surprising moment when you're like, well, d- didn't you plan on having this baby for the past 40 <laughs> weeks? Like, shouldn't you know that you were having a baby? Uh, mm. But yeah, sometimes you, you find yourself there and you're like, I, I, I didn't expect it to come out this way. Mm. Yeah. I think that that's also just how some people kind of process life in general. I, you know, I, frequently explain my personality or the way I think is like if I want to know what the furniture in my room looks like I move it all like there's no visualization for me like to phys- I have to physically kind of move all of that around to see what it would look like to kind of understand if I would even like it and I think some people yeah. are like that um, in pregnancy and early parenthood I think that you can prepare and like you're saying of course there's like there's a lot of benefit to kind of doing these like kind of mental preparations reading lots of book taking lots of courses I think we have a lot of that energy on especially online in the motherhood community mm-hmm. um, yeah but for some people you know even if you do that preparation it isn't until that time like when you met your son and you were like okay we're taking this kid home yeah this is our kid yeah. and that's when you can kind of like not I mean I don't think it's like it necessarily is emo- it doesn't have to be emotional or intellectual but it's a process and it's like you're not some people can't connect to it in the way that they need to until it's actually happening. So I think, you know, and that's where we kind of like what you're saying is like, you can do all this preparation. You could spend 40 hours a week preparing for your birth and it can happen and you're not prepared because until you're Mm -hmm. doing it, you don't know like what, like what that is going to ask of you or what that is going to feel like for you. So I think it's also okay. Like I think, you know, sometimes we put a lot of emphasis, you know, with our guests or and moms who have voices, like I said, kind of in internet communities where it's like, oh, if you're really prepared, then like you're better at this. And Mm. sometimes it's like, well, I don't know. Some people like they just need to experience it. And, you know, that that is their experience. And that's what the best that they could, you know, prepare for it, I guess. Yeah. Well, and I like what you said, Lisa, too, about, you know, if you get really caught up or really set on a certain way that you think it's going to happen. And this is not just true of birth, but this is true of like what it's like to have an infant or what it's like to be a mom, you know, in general, it you really then if things don't show up or turn out that way that you expected, then you end up feeling really disappointed. Um, And so I think that sometimes having less expectations you know, is, can be a really good thing. Yeah. I mean, it totally depends on your personality and, you Mm -hmm. know, you know yourself by the time you're, you're pregnant and at that stage, you kind of know yourself and you know what you're thinking and you've, you've been pregnant for this entire time. So you don't know what the last final hurdle looks like, but you, you do know who you are as a person. I think uh, there's so much expectation when when the baby arrives that there's going to be this magical moment and bonding Mm -hmm. and it's emotional and it it definitely was all of that for my first child and then for my second child I was just so overwhelmed and we can talk about it later but like it was yeah there wasn't I didn't have that magical emotional moment and then I I ended up feeling guilty about that. Like, why didn't mm. I have this bonding moment with my child? Like, I just gave birth to this baby, and I, I didn't, I didn't do all the things that you were supposed to do of like, you know, instantly putting them, you know, on your skin and and marveling at how tiny. Like, I, I didn't, I didn't do any of those things. And yeah. then I'm like, what is wrong with me? Like, why didn't I have that maternal 
connection right away with my baby. And um, mm. so, so I think the when when you give birth, you kind of become brain dead. Like your whole body shuts down to focus on giving birth. Mm-hmm. That your brain doesn't have space for thinking thoughts. And so, it, however you are in the moment is just how you are, and you can't True. expect. Yeah. And you don't know until you're there because there's no other physical process that does that to your body no. in terms of devoting all of its resources and energy to doing to giving birth. Yeah. So. Yeah, it, it's you only know it until you're there, and then you just have to accept wherever you are. Yeah, yeah. It's not like any a lot of other things in life where you know you show up to a cocktail party that you don't really want to be at, and you can like you know put on the smiley face, or you go to you know Thanksgiving dinner with your in laws, and you make polite conversation the whole time. It's like you're right. You're in this. You're in this like uncontrollable state that is not. It's not like you can like pause halfway through and be like, hey, you know, I'm gonna just shift like how I'm. <laughs> you know, like the zone, the place, the zone that I'm in and and be different than I'm being. It's, it's kind of, it is what it is. Like you said. Yeah. Yeah. I know a lot of women have reported that they're, they're like, I'm done. I'm, I'm done with this. Like I'm going to go now. And the doctor's mm-hmm. like, no, you're, you're not going anywhere. So the, I think there may be for some people like this, this sort of mental shutdown of like, I'm done with this. Like I cannot connect with this anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to leave. And so it's, yeah. it's, yeah. Yeah, we call that I can't the I can't do this moment. <laughs> yeah, I can't do this moment. Yeah. And everyone yeah. hits it and that's when you're almost done. So you're like, okay. That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah like you're almost there. Yeah, and that's and that's what birth workers know. You know, Lara is a labor and delivery nurse and she's getting her doctorate in midwifery. You know, I'm a doula. I've had three babies myself. Like we just know that that's that's where women get to. And and literally as they're saying that, it's like the signal to everyone there. Okay, well we're almost there then. Here we you go. Know, here we go. Like here she's comes trying the to baby. leave the room. Yeah. <laughs> she's getting she's crowning. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty it's a pretty interesting psychological phenomenon. And obviously it's like you know hormone induced and it's you know it's very in many ways measurable but it's also like a mystery at the same time you know it's just it's such an interesting interesting piece of it yeah so yeah it's fascinating how much we can know with science and technology and yet still midwifery and childbirth is this mysterious process behind closed doors it's like mm -hmm. there are some things that you know the machines can't tell what's happening under all of that. And it's, it's really interesting. It is. Yeah. So you had your baby. Um, are your kids boys or girls? I have one of each. I have, uh, my eldest is boy and, um, the child I had in Sweden is a girl. Okay. So your son is born and in, you kind of mentioned in contrast that, you know, you didn't feel as immediately connected to your second born. So how did you feel in that immediate postpartum period with your first? Uh, Overwhelmed. Um, Yeah, sort of like the shock and awe. (laughs) Just like, oh, I don't know what to do. And it was in the US and uh, I had three or no, yeah, 12 weeks of uh, parental leave of maternity leave that I was on. And um, it was good. I did a lot of baby wearing in that period. Um, but then I did a lot of sort of mental preparation for going back to work and what was that going to look like and, you know, introducing the bottle. And there was a lot to juggle in those first mm-hmm. three months of, you know, figuring out how to handle this baby and the sleepless nights and then, you know, 
breastfeeding and that that actually came relatively easily for me which was good uh, mm-hmm. but then you know introducing all the things and finding a nanny and what are we going to do how am I going to go back to work uh, should we do daycare or nanny and you know we're on the list for four daycares are they going to let us in in time and so it was just there was a lot we were living in Atlanta Georgia hmm. and so we had our name on a lot of daycares but they were we were far down on the list despite having registered early because that's how, you know, cities work and all the, the best daycares get snapped up really quickly. Yeah. And so, yes, yeah, so there was a lot of uh, confusion as to how it was all going to play out and what the plan was going to be when I went back to work. Hmm. So. Yeah, that's that is, I think, when you throw into the mix going back to work and especially if it's not something that is figured out in advance, you know, some people have like, oh, well, no matter what, like my mom's going to start watching the baby when I go back to work or no matter what, like, you know, we're, we're going to, you know, like there, there's are sometimes I think cases, not, not that it makes the postpartum transition easy, but where that piece is already figured out. And when it isn't, I think it just adds a huge degree of stress and complexity to those initial months. Yeah, exactly. Like the mental load of having to deal with all of that, it just adds another, another layer of complexity. Yeah. Did you feel like you were able to, to enjoy those early moments and to be like present, you know, with your son or did it feel like you were, you know, distracted and kind of looking forward? Yeah, it was a total blur. (laughs) It was a total blur. I think that, uh, you know, there was so much going on and we had, you know, grandparents visiting or my parents, uh, visiting and, you know, there's so people in and out of the house and, uh, figuring out this crying baby and what to do. And it was Atlanta. And so it was hot and okay, how to keep this baby cool. And when we're out and about, we want to go for walks, but how do we, so I bought like a little fan and clipped it to the stroller. I mean, we did Mm, kind of everything. Uh, yeah, no, it was, it was definitely a blur. Those first few, few weeks, I'd be lying if I said I was present because it was totally, (laughs) it was was a haze. It was just like a sleep deprived haze that we lived in. And my husband yeah. was traveling for work a lot, so I was kind of on my own Monday through Thursday, and then he would oh. come back Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and it was, it was like that for you know the whole time we were living in Atlanta, and so I, it was yeah, it was a lot of balancing the baby by myself, and then mm. you know on weekends having shared family time, which was great, uh, but you know as the primary caretaker, you're still taking on the bulk of the the nights and all the work, but, but we had, he's a a great partner. My husband is a great partner and he would do all of the diaper changing at night and I would breastfeed the baby down. Um, but he, he was get up there. He would get up in the middle of the night with me, which was really helpful. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, That solidarity can be so huge. Yeah. Like we're in this together. Like, like this is horrible and it's hard, but I'm here and I'm also tired and we'll do it together. That, that made a huge difference. Yeah. And I think some, you know, people approach that differently. Some people really, really benefit from that, like shared nighttime parenting. Other people find that it works really well for them to be like, hey, you know, there's no reason for us both to be tired. <laughs> like, you know, you can sleep. Yeah. And and I I know people that like swear by both of those approaches. So I think it really is just about like what's going to work, not just logistically, but also like for your emotional connection with your partner. Like mm-hmm. it just you kind of have to just know what's or figure out what's going to work. Yeah. Are you going to resent your partner for going back to sleep or are you going right. to be really okay with it? And, you know, <laughs> totally. and be honest with yourself. Don't be like, oh, yeah, go back to sleep, honey, and then be upset with him when he does. Right. Yeah. Yep. For no, sure. I think that that's, yeah, key. So. 
Yeah. So when did you move to Sweden and what took you guys there? So, you know, as I mentioned, my husband was uh, working and traveling a lot and sort of around when my, when my son was six months old, I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. Like I was completely burned out and I needed something had to change because I was going to break. Like, I, mm. I think it was, it was too far past the postpartum period to be depression, postpartum depression. But I was definitely having some sort of mental health issues where I was having, you know, I was in really dark place and mm. sympathizing with women who, you know, had postpartum depression and, and thought those ugly thoughts about like, oh, like, I can understand why women shake their babies. Like I can, oh, like just, just having yeah. those thoughts through my brain. I was like, okay, I need to step away because this is not a healthy place to be. And I, mm-hmm. my husband came through the door Thursday night and I handed him our son and I said, I'm leaving. And I went to a hotel and I just spent the night at a hotel because I could not do it anymore. And when I came back, he's like, something has to change. I'm like, yeah, something has to change. And we were looking for different jobs that would, you know, go down to part-time work for me. And he was looking for a job that wouldn't have him traveling as much. And so we were both kind of, you know, looking for this opportunity of some sort of any sort to change our situation. And, uh, he had a, a job posting come through in his email that was in Sweden (laughs) and Mm. they were looking for someone on his team. His team was very small. And he said, you know, if we apply for this, I might, you know, I might get it. Are you okay with moving to Sweden? And I was like, yes, let's do it. Like, Mm. absolutely. They have paid parental leave. Uh, they love children. It's, I had only heard, you know, the, the stories of, you know, how Sweden is this great place to raise children and it's where this utopia society, I know better now, but that was what it was in my head when I thought Sweden and kids and family and work-life balance. I was like, yes, this is it. And so he applied for the job, got for, got it. And we moved within five weeks. Wow. So we completely uprooted our lives and our son was nine months old at the time. So we moved when he was a baby baby and it was sort of like a parachute, like just kind of like pulling the ripcord and just floating at that point because I was so ready for something else Mm -hmm. um, to kind of escape where we were at that point in our lives Mm -hmm. and uh, escape the city of you know Atlanta there was a lot of crime that was happening at the same time which kind of helped us make the decision i mean there was arson on our our townhome complex it was set on fire and all, mm. all these things were like you know maybe it's time for us to find a new place to live so it ev- everything worked together and it was perfect timing for us to leave so yeah we just picked up and we moved sight unseen to sweden when our baby was 9 months old wow wow yeah, that's tough in a different way. Yeah, t- totally tough in a different way. But we were ready. In my mind, I was just thinking adventure, adventure. I can't wait to be home with my baby because it meant giving up my career to do this, to, to move to Sweden um, was all for his career, not for mine. And I was fine. I was fine with that trade. I was like, mm-hmm. you know what? I'm good. Um, I did have a career that was going somewhere in Atlanta. And uh, you know, I have my master's in public health, and so I was working with the CDC and work and, and really doing work that I loved. That you know, I worked really hard to get there. Um, but at that point, you know, the postpartumness and feeling like I wasn't connecting with my child and feeling like I wasn't present for 
his milestones and his steps and I, I mm. missed when he was sitting up and it was all those things that I felt like I was missing out on and then when we moved to Sweden we arrived and then I was like what do I do with him all day <laughs> like I've never right. done this I've <laughs> never been at home with my child all yeah. day except for on weekends and so what do we do and so that was a learning process too to figure out like okay here we are in this foreign country and I don't speak the language and I don't know where anything is what are we gonna do and we lived in mm. a tiny rental apartment at first and I was like we just have to get out and go explore so we would just put him in the stroller every day and we would walk and we'd explore the city and just get get to know people and uh, explore what what they have going on and since Sweden has such long parental leaves there are a ton of open preschools where parents can drop in and just play mm. in these community centers that are usually held in churches because Swedes don't go to church. They go to, <laughs> so right. they use them for like these parent gatherings. Um, and it was great. And so I got to socialize a little bit and he got to socialize and I got to see what a nine month old baby does all day because I had no mm. idea. Right. So that was a really good learning experience. And I felt like I got to make up for some lost time on the front end of his life. So that was that was a really positive experience for us. Yeah. So did you find, I know you mentioned earlier that like your utopian expectation or view of what Sweden would be like, you know, got a little disrupted. Did you feel though like it was the shift that you guys needed? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 120%. Yeah. That's great. Absolutely. It was, it was, we really lucked out and, you know, no place is perfect, mm -hmm. um, but we really lucked out in that uh, the way the culture and the child rearing culture that Sweden has aligns with the child rearing culture that works for us. And it doesn't always work that way. And mm -hmm. when you move to a foreign country, it, how they raise children may not at all mesh with how you want to raise your child. And so there will be a lot of struggle because you're going to be fighting against a culture and you can't, it, it's bigger than you. Yeah. And so if your family ideals align with the country's ideals, then it's, it all works together and you're not going to struggle as much as let's say you move to a really foreign culture that values things differently. Mm -hmm. You might have a really hard time raising your child in that type of environment in a way that works works for your own personal values. Right. So so we got really lucky in that that the style of raising kids works works well for our personal style as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, do you find that there are any particular ways that it doesn't work well and I'm curious too if you have any thoughts and and we'll want to get back on track to hearing about your your second birth there but I'm curious if you have I mean I know from you know the stories that you tell in your books that you probably have a lot of insight on how women can kind of identify whether there's going to be a cultural fit in terms of their motherhood journey yeah it is hard because it's the type of thing that you don't really understand until you've lived in a place for a few years. Mm -hmm. So if you're just reading about a culture, it's hard to scratch beneath the surface and really yeah. understand all the, all the layers. And there's a thing called a cultural iceberg and the really visual parts of a culture are like the flags and the holidays and dancing and costumes. And those types of very public celebrations are at the top of the iceberg that you can see. And then child rearing culture is really down far below the surface of a culture. And so it takes time to become familiar with what that means for 
the culture that you're living in as well as for you as a family? Like, how is that culture going to affect you? Yeah. And so it, it has taken a few years. And I would say, you know, in terms of um, like the highly visible things in Sweden, it lined up. Uh, they don't believe spanking is outlawed. They don't believe in corporal punishment. And so that's fine. Um, but it's, but it's almost to another level where you're not allowed to really yell at your child raising, you can't raise your voice at your child because mm-hmm. it's seen as being verbally abusive. Mm-hmm. And so it's just culturally not done. I mean, you can yell at your child, but you will get stared at by strangers and kind of tisk tisked by old ladies and all that kind of yeah. stuff. So it's a kind of thing where you're like, uh, you know, if your child's having a massive meltdown, you cannot yell at your child in public. Like you just <laughs> cannot. And so it's, kind of hard to be like oh okay like you have to change your sort of innate natural reaction to how you're parenting and some of these things only happen once your child is older yeah and so you don't really experience it first off so you're like oh this is great what a great match and they're like oh Uh, but there are there are some cultures that have sort of the physical confinement period the postpartum confinement Mm -hmm. and those are more the middle eastern and asian cultures that do that Mm -hmm. and so if you're not comfortable with sort of being housebound for 30 days postpartum you're going to get looks if you're out and about with a young baby they're going to you know, mm-hmm. talk to you about it. So yeah. it really depends on where you're going and what you're comfortable with doing. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I love the example you gave of not yelling to your kids because you might even philosophically agree with that and say like, yeah, I don't want to yell at my kids. But yet there are moments where we know we yell at our kids, you know, and yeah. and those aren't like, you're not like, you didn't wake up that morning and say, I'm okay with yelling at my kids. That's what I'm going to do today. You know, it's right. like, <laughs> it happens. Um, so that's just such an interesting, an interesting example of, of how you, you know, would theoretically be in alignment with a culture, but then actually find it difficult to like on a day-to-day basis be, you know, to, to be like making it work. Exactly. In theory, it's one thing. And then in practice, it's, it's another. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. So how many years ago did you move to Sweden? Five and a half years ago. We moved in January 2012. Okay. And then how long before you had your daughter? She was born in October 2013. So fairly quickly. I think we got pregnant maybe eight months after we moved. And that was, that was, again, I guess, a conscious decision or not a conscious, I don't, I don't really know. We we just kind of said, hey, like, let's just stop preventing. Like, okay, you know, you just, you just kind of take a laid back attitude. And, you know, we got pregnant so quickly with our son that I was like, okay, this should be, this should be easy. This should be fast. I I was 29. It's like, okay, this should be, yeah, I'm still young. This will be quick. And it took a few more, it took a little longer. I think it was like six or seven months before we got pregnant. So that was the first time that I kind of experienced it not happening right away. Mm -hmm. And that was okay. And it was still a surprise when it happened. Uh, But yeah, I think we, we gave up on waiting to feel ready. And we just said, Hey, we know, we know we're going to have two kids. Let's just do this. Let's just get it over with and hopefully have them close together in age. And let's just, you know, not worry too much about if we're ready because we're not we're not ready. So we're just going to go for it. Yeah. Recognizing that you'll probably never feel ready. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's not going to happen. We can't prepare for this. Let's just let's just do it. And that worked out. That worked out well. And those home pregnancy tests came back positive. So that was 
I was I didn't have any trips to Ecuador for that one. Um, so that was a very an easier way of finding out. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And you had probably at that point taken a few pregnancy tests that had come back negative. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Were you starting to to feel you know uncertain or you know overwhelmed by that part of the process, or were you fairly? Yeah, I, I think about? it was. Yeah, it was like around the fifth month where I'm like, what is going on here? Like, why? You know, you mm-hmm. start to to feel the disappointment each month. Um, where you, you think you feel pregnant, you can't tell if you're pregnant or if you're just, you know, premenstrual. You're like, oh, like my breasts are tender, like maybe this is it. And then you get your period and you're like, uh, that wasn't it. Um, yeah. But yeah, so there, we, I went through a few rounds of disappointment. Uh, and then it, it fortunately, it, it still didn't take so long. I know some, some women experience that disappointment for years and years. And I was very lucky to yeah. only have that for a few months. Yeah, I I know what you mean. It's I've I've had a similar experience to yours where it's taken me a few months to get pregnant and I think it, you know it is very easy to dismiss that experience in in light of the women who who face, you know, really significant fertility challenges and and I'm always very very sensitive towards that. Um but I also think that it's important not to minimize your own experience even if, you know, it is for a shorter period of time that that disappointment is still really real. You know that yeah. that cycle of you know, of hope 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 disappointment is like it really can take uh, an emotional and mental toll on women. That's mm-hmm. what we we've seen over and over again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you get pregnant, um what was your so I mean so much of the heart of I know what you what your book is about and what we are talking about today is kind of the difference between these experiences of your you know postpartum or your prenatal experience in the US and birth experience versus Sweden so tell us mm-hmm. tell us what it was like and how it was different from your US experience sure well First off, it was all in Swedish, so that was like completely different, you know, in terms of finding a a midwife. So in Sweden, the midwives you see in the office are just office midwives. Like you will not deliver with them Mm -hmm. at all, which is a different, they're very siloed. So the women who see you in the office, see you in the office, and they're just office midwives. And then the ones who work in the hospital are hospital midwives and are trained in delivery. So mm-hmm. it was good that she was trained in prenatal care, but it was also like, I'm building this relationship with this woman who's not going to deliver my baby. It just felt right. felt like kind of weird. <laughs> like, okay, like what's the point of this? Uh, but my first visit was very... It was almost like an interview. We just sat down and talked and she said, okay, what was the date of your last menstrual cycle? I told her, I I think I was eight weeks at that point. I was eight weeks pregnant. And she said, okay, I'll see you at 20 weeks. Hmm. And that was it. Like there was no pregnancy test. There was no ultrasound. There's no confirming that I was pregnant. And I even asked her, I'm like, you know, in the U S I had a transvaginal ultrasound they confirmed I had, I I left with a little picture, everything. And I was like, do you want to confirm? Are you going to? give me a pregnancy test or anything. And she's like, no, because if you're not pregnant, pregnant. (laughs) yeah, you, you say you're pregnant. If you're not pregnant, we'll find out, won't we? Like, I won't see you in 20 weeks. And she said, if there are any problems, of course you can call us and we'll help you. But until then, goodbye. And so Mm -hmm. for me, after being monitored monthly in the U S like as soon as you're pregnant, like they, like they start the testing, they start the this, they start weighing you mm-hmm. and checking you and peeing in cups and you're doing all these things to, she just didn't care. I was like, okay, well, I guess, well, okay. If, if it was my first pregnancy, 
I mean, maybe I wouldn't know any different, but since it was my second one, I was like, no, you should be like checking me out and making sure I'm healthy. And she's like, yeah, you are. You'll be fine. Just eat a healthy diet. Uh, she didn't even recommend prenatal vitamins or anything. She just said, eat healthily, hmm. which you know is hard to do in your first yeah. trimester. So I was like, okay, great. So I bought my own prenatal vitamins. I'm like, I'm just going to do this on my own. Yeah. I know how to do this. I, I'll just do it by myself. So a lot of it and is, is just sort of, you know, flying by the seat of your pants. And if it was my first pregnancy, I wouldn't know any better. But yeah. uh, the prenatal care was much more hands-off and no intervention, which mm-hmm. I really enjoyed. Because, again, it was my second one. So yeah. I was much more laid back. And you're busy with your toddler, and so you're not paying as much attention. And so to not have to go in every month, it was actually really helpful to have some time just to be pregnant and to to grow the baby and then have my first real visit after my 20 week ultrasound. Mm -hmm. And that was it. I only had one ultrasound and um, she asked if I wanted to know the sex of the baby, which is kind of uh, scandalous in Sweden because you're not supposed to care. You're supposed to Mm -hmm. be so gender, gender neutral that you don't care if you have a boy or girl. but I was like, ah, I'm American. Yes, tell me, tell me what it is, because we did it. We did it the first way where we didn't know with my son, and then mm-hmm. I was like, I want to do it differently so I can see if there's a difference. Like, okay, case and control study here, mm-hmm. um, and we found out we were having a girl, and so I was, I was excited, excited to have a boy and a girl, and it wouldn't have mattered either way. But it was still fun to find out. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so that was it, and just had a pretty uneventful pregnancy yet again, uh, which was really good. I guess I'm good at being pregnant. I I didn't like it. I didn't like being pregnant because it slowed me down with my toddler Mm. and I couldn't be as active with him as I wanted to be. And uh, in Sweden, there's a lot of walking and Mm. a lot of, you know, I would walk 20 minutes to drop him off at preschool. And that was really hard on my hips. And, you know, getting around was really hard when you're largely pregnant and like pushing a stroller up hills and down hills and all that kind of stuff. But I think part of that kept me healthy and kept me moving. Mm-hmm. So that was good. But it was it was more physically demanding than my first pregnancy, for sure. Hmm. So with this approach to your prenatal care being fairly hands-off, did you find it dismissive? Was it Did it cross the line into like where you felt like you couldn't ask questions or have concerns? Or was it just that they were very, very you know, everything was very normal to them. Yeah, I think it was very normal. Uh, It didn't feel dismissive because they definitely took me seriously. I had some bleeding uh, around 12 weeks and I called and they said, please come in to the, uh, there's a special OBGYN ER, which is really Mm -hmm. like the, the seventh circle of hell. Like it's the worst place in the world to be because you're just surrounded by women who are just crying and it's it's, oh. it's absolutely horrible. It's yeah. absolutely horrible because they, they just specialize in OBGYN. So you're you're not with other ER patients. You're with just women who are there for for gynecological issues. Uh, so that was horrible. But um, they they really took it seriously and they did two ultrasounds there and a follow up ultrasound a week later. So. If there are problems, they do take them seriously. But again, it's only until you raise the alarm and you say, hey, I'm having issues. It, there was nothing like through regular screening that would have indicated that I was having issues. So it's on the patient. It's the patient's responsibility to be your own advocate. And I think mm. this is true no matter where you are. Mm. You have to be your own advocate. 
Uh, especially if you're in a system that you don't understand and a language that you don't speak very well, you really have to shout to make yourself heard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I didn't find it dismissive so much as they're not going to intervene unless you make them. And so that was okay. Um, again, because they were there when I needed them, but and they left me alone and I was normal when I was normal. So, th- so that yeah. worked out well. Yeah. What a contrast to the experience you had in the U.S. where like the, you know, the vaccination person was like, no, you have to take three pregnancy tests. Oh, yeah, <laughs> <You> exactly. <know>? <laughs> Just <laughs> Exactly. Where, you know, someone's following up with me to make sure I, I do everything. And, and now I'd never took a glucose um, exam, the, the mm-hmm. glucose test in Sweden. I never did that because she took uh, finger pricks and she monitored my blood sugar that way when I went in. This was after 20 weeks. Uh, and she said, you know, if, if your blood sugar is high in one of those, then we'll send you for a, a glucose exam. But until then, you're okay. The only issue I really had was uh, anemia because I was low on iron. Mm-hmm. And she said that was pretty common. Um, so she put me on high dose iron pills, which was the, the things iron pills do to the human body. is just horrible. Not, not <laughs> I don't okay. know why it has okay. to be so rough. Yeah. Well, and um, there's not a ton of evidence to support that would change anything in pregnancy. It's just the tradition. So it's kind of interesting that they have the traditional practice of doing that. And then not a lot of a traditional experience, the new tradition of high monitoring. So, yeah. 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 I feel like it, it is yeah. interesting, and I'm sure you found this in kind of talking with people who've had uh, experiences in other cultures. There's just so so much of it is a grab bag of like what has come through and influenced that culture, and what mm-hmm. has stuck around, like a combination of tradition and then and then Western medicine. Yeah, yeah, like they they won't let you have a water birth in Sweden, <laughs> which I found really interesting. They'll let you labor in the water, but you can't actually birth in the water. Mm-hmm. Despite all the evidence and everything, they still haven't updated because they think there was a, an adverse event that happened you know, 20 years ago. And so they've just said, that's it. It's against the law. You cannot do that. Oh, so, yeah, it, it is really interesting what has stayed and what has what has been outlawed mm-hmm. in in the uh, birth, birthing world in Sweden. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. So no glucose test, and she weighed me one time. <laughs> that was it. So it was very different from my U.S. experience, where I was weighed every four weeks. And uh, when I was weighed on the scale in Sweden, she had she turned it so I couldn't even see it, and she she said, "Just walk away. You don't don't worry about it. You're <laughs> you fine. don't need to know. <laughs> <laughs> You're fine. This don't is not going to help you. Yeah, like there's no need. And so when people say, "Oh, how much weight did you gain with your second baby?" I'm like, I have no idea. Like probably way more than I thought because. I wasn't I wasn't paying attention at all to my weight gain, but that yeah. was really nice, and that was a nice, uh, relaxing way to be pregnant, is not to obsess over your weight gain. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I I chose not to be weighed during my last pregnancy, and that was something that I just felt like in previous pregnancies it had been kind of this like mental hangup for me, mm-hmm. and so I just talked to my midwives about it at the start and said, you know, if you guys are okay with it, like. I would like to not be weighed and they were, were, they said they were totally on board with it. They would like watch me for, you know, other signs that, you know, would mean it would be important to see if I had, you know, been gaining too much or too little or whatever. Um, But that never, you know, nothing like that ever happened during my pregnancy. So I was, I was not weighed the entire time and it was so nice. It was so freeing. And I had people ask me the same thing, like, how much did you weigh? And I'm like, I know it was a hell of a lot more than the first time. (laughs) That's all I know. (laughs) I know you can't give an answer. Isn't it great? I mean, it really yeah, is. You nice. can't give. It's nice to not be able to give an answer because it's huh. like, it just it just like 
it just removes the association of, of the value of that, whether it's like negative that you've gained mm-hmm. too much or positive that you like gained in the perfect window. Like you just don't get to have that association, you know? Yeah. And when as women are we not obsessing about our weight or appearance or anything? Totally. And then when you're pregnant, you are the largest you will ever be. Mm-hmm. For most of us, we are the largest we'll ever be when we're pregnant. And it's the, you know, the first time my body has ever been stretched to those limits. And so, right. yeah, you're thinking constantly about what you look like and you feel like a beached whale and you feel, oh, the last thing you want to do is worry about how much weight you're gaining. Right. Especially yeah. if you don't need to. I mean, especially if if you're healthy and everything is fine and you don't have gestational diabetes, like why are you worried about your weight? Totally. Yeah. So, so how did your, how did your birth go? Let's, let's hear this story. I know it's going to be a good one. So, um, in Sweden, you, um, again, because you have your office midwives and then you have your hospital midwives, you don't you're not assigned a hospital. I mean, you, you kind of put in a wish list, kind of like a daycare. You're like, okay, like if this hospital is available, I would like this one first. And then you have like your top two or three hospitals. And what you do when you're in labor, the process is you call your number one hospital's birthing hotline and they tell you if they have any beds available, which if you're giving birth during a very busy time, they may be full. It is then up to that switchboard operator to find you a hospital that is available, but it might not be anything. So uh, we were encouraged to write up a birth plan and I had it in English and in Swedish. And, um, but it was, it was this very stressful situation and I knew what the deal was before, you know, before getting there. So I was like, okay, I don't know who I'm going to get on the other end. I don't know if they're going to want to give me an epidural. And I had only heard absolute nightmare stories about epidurals in Sweden because they really don't want to give you an epidural. They Uh say they support like the mother, but they, they support the mother in a natural way and they are very anti drugs. So, okay. I knew I was probably not going to get an epidural. I also knew that second births can go faster than your first birth. And my first birth was pretty short. Yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty fast. By the time I got to the hospital, I was giving birth pretty quickly. So I was like, okay, I might not have a lot of time for this, this pregnancy, this birth. So I want to take back some control. I was feeling very out of control in the whole thing. So Mm -hmm. I ended up doing hypno babies, which Mm -hmm. is like the complete opposite of what I did for my first experience. It was like, I did all preparation. Like I did nothing but preparation and I, I prepared every day and I started doing the self hypnosis for 30 minutes every day. And it was great. I would just sleep. I was sleeping through the tracks mm-hmm. and I was actually kind of nervous cause I just kept falling asleep and I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do when it comes time to give birth because I'm sleeping. Like I'm not <laughs> listening to the, the instructions. Like I'm, I'm a horrible student. I'm a horrible hypnosis student and I'm just falling asleep every time. <laughs> I was enjoying the naps, but I was like kind of stressed out that I was not, was not not going to do very well. And my midwife friend, she's like, if you're sleeping through the hypnosis tracks, like you're going to be great. You're going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't understand what she meant, but I was like, okay, cool. Like, thanks for that vote of confidence. Yeah. I can do this. And I told my midwife, look, I'm doing this hypnosis thing. And she was intrigued. She's like, I've never heard of this before. Like, tell me about it. And so I was telling her what I was doing and she thought I was, you know, probably a little crazy. I was like, okay, but you have to kind of go all in. You have to really believe that this is going to work. Yes. Yeah, it's it's like this magic show. Like you have to believe that the hypnosis can work, and then it will, and it totally did. And I went over. I was forty one weeks, six days. Like I was almost 
I was at so at the end of my pregnancy, like so, so, so done. And it was Sunday and I just started feeling weird. And you know, when you feel weird and you're like, oh, this is weird. Oh, is this it? Like, I think this is it. This is labor. Yeah. Is this, uh, is this the beginning? This is the beginning. So I had that like weird, like something's going on in my body. So I decided to do like the whole, let me start my hypnosis tracks. And I just was listening to them on my phone. So I was just playing speaker on my phone and it's Sunday and we had just finished breakfast. And so everyone was relaxed and my son was playing in his room and my husband was kind of floating around. I don't know what he was doing. Um, but I was like, I'm just gonna take a shower and kind of just relax and start because something's weird and we had plans for um our friend to come over and watch our son so we could go to the hospital and he's like do you want me to call her do you want me to call ava it's for her to come over i said no 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 it's fine like this could be hours like it's fine don't worry about it mm -hmm. and um it wasn't hours <laughs> it was like 90 minutes and wow. um i just kind of you know went from the the yoga ball i was like kind of you know that little bouncy blue ball from target i was like stretched out on that and rocking back and forth having my arms my body was draped over it and just totally relaxed and then i would go to the bathroom and i felt like i had to bear down i was going to the bathroom i was like okay but i was just walking around my house in my underwear it was completely not a scene that you'd want a stranger finding you in, but it was like the most mm. comfortable thing for me to be doing. And I just kept moving in between birthing waves. That's what the waves is what mm -hmm. pressure waves, what they call them. And I, my whole job and the hypnosis was really just staying relaxed and staying in a position that was comfortable. And if you weren't comfortable, immediately changing so that you were comfortable. Mm -hmm. And I just kept doing that. And my husband would kind of float down and he'd be like, Oh, how are you doing? And he, to his eyes, I was totally fine. I was just breathing and relaxed. I was very calm. I was not a woman in labor whatsoever, according to his perspective. Hmm. And then I went to the bathroom and I wiped and there was blood and I was like, Oh, this is the bloody show. And last time in my first pregnancy, I had 15 minutes from bloody show to when my baby arrived. Oh, I was wow. like, oh, oh, no. Wow. oh no, I have 15 minutes. I did not have 15 minutes. And at that point I called my husband. I was like, you need, I'm like, you need to come down here. And it was very calm, very calm. Cause that's, I was just in a very calm state. So he came downstairs to so like, what's going on? I'm like, okay, can you call the hotline? We need to call the hotline. <laughs> and the Swedes, you know, I don't know why these midwives do this, but the Swedish midwives, they talk to you through contractions to see, to gauge how far apart you are. Now, this yes. is the least scientific approach I've ever heard of in my life. I don't know why they do this, but they do. And so she, she was asking me for my base, my Swedish social security number. And I, I couldn't talk through it and I wasn't in pain or anything. I was just, I just could not, I could not talk. And I bent down and I felt her head was, she was coming out. And for an yeah. insane moment, I was like, I'll just hold her in till help arrives. <laughs> and I was like this, I'm like, she's, she's already here. And my husband put the phone down, which was still on speaker. And I completely, you know, forgot about it. And my body, I, I did not do anything. I did, I just let my body do it. And my body just pushed her out. And that was it. Like there was no pushing, there was no screaming, there was no contractions, there was absolutely nothing. And I was like, how did this baby arrive? Like, oh my gosh, like I just, it was just like, and there's a baby in my arms. And I'm like, well, how did this happen? Mm -hmm. And my husband was there and he was like, oh my God. And he's in like freak out mode because yeah. what just happened? Yeah. Like to him, I'm just walking around the house. He didn't realize I was about to give birth. I didn't realize I was about to give birth. And then I hear a, a voice on the phone and she's like, is everything okay? And I'm like, no, no, things are not okay. <laughs> no. I just had a baby. 
Um, and, you know, my husband runs out the door. He's looking for help. He's banging on neighbors' doors. I don't know what he's doing. He's just gone. And <laughs> I'm holding I'm holding a baby. And I'm just kind of holding her, like, away from my body. Like, yeah. what is what is this? And she's not making any noise. And she's not crying. And she's not blue. She's huge. She's absolutely huge. She was nine pounds. Wow. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And, yeah, the woman on the phone was like, okay, like, it sounds like she's breathing. <laughs> like, okay, good, good. We, we've got that. Step Again, one. <laughs> I, was, I was completely, like, brain dead. Like, I was not thinking thoughts. Things were, thoughts were moving through my brain like sludge. Like, it was not, I was not coherent to make any important decisions at that point. Mm-hmm. And I was holding a slippery baby with a very long umbilical cord still attached. I was like, oh, what am I going to do? Um, but, yeah, so eventually... My husband came back with towels and we did, cause that's what you do, right? You get towels, you get towels, towels and hot water. Yeah. What am I supposed to do with this now? <laughs> um, so yeah, we just wrapped her in a towel and I kind of sat down on the floor that was completely slippery um, and just waited and we waited for an ambulance to arrive and they, they took their time. They didn't show up for like 15 minutes and then despite living down the road, and then when they arrived, these Swedish men just kind of sauntered in. They're like, hey, hey, hey is hello, hello, hey, mm-hmm. hey. That was it. They kind of took one look at me and they said, okay, you look good. Baby <laughs> looks good. No rush. And they totally took their time clamping the cord. So I, you know how they say delayed cord, cord clamping gives yeah. your baby all these positive i'm like my child should be a mutant child like she should be so full of <laughs> nutrients because she had her cord attached for at least 20 minutes uh, but it was very very calm everyone stayed very calm the entire time except for my husband after the fact and uh, he got to cut the cord and do all the fun stuff and then we got a free ride in an ambulance which was really nice <laughs> we, so we didn't have to worry about getting to the hospital or giving birth in a taxi or any of the things that women in Sweden worry about because I did it at home and it was, it was totally fine and then yeah we went to the hospital and that's where I delivered the afterbirth which is like a hundred times worse than giving birth to the baby because this time I could feel it. I wasn't in my reverie state of hypnosis. No, I was like, oh my gosh, I can feel this. And she had me on my back, which is not how I wanted to be. And she was like pulling on the cord. And I had another Swedish woman elbowing my stomach down. I mean, it was like, it was full on like Olga pushing down on my belly. It's like, oh my gosh. Um, So that that experience was like a hundred times worse than giving birth. I would Mm. I would give birth any day of the week over delivering the afterbirth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it <laughs> can that be really it. intense for sure. Yeah. 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 And I feel like specifically in the cir- the circumstance, your circumstance, when things kind of, no, I mean, easy is such a horrible word. I think in that way of like being in that, like you're saying it was two different states of being like being in yeah. your mm-hmm. hypnotic state, being out of it. A lot of women come out of that intense, that whole intense, um, section of transition and pushing and when the baby's out they kind of release that that piece and so then you know we're doing all these things like checking for bleeding and getting you know or maybe people are being having to have a repair and that is the worst part for so many people and I think that is it's it's a hard thing to explain in the sense of like 
there are some things that are necessary. There are some things that we're very aggressive about, you know, in some in some areas. Um, again, with that kind of tradition of like, oh, well, we'll just tidy everything up and get things done very quickly, which I think can increase the intensity for some folks. Um, but I also just think it's not something that you kind of anticipate or prepare for. Plus, you have your baby, so you're very, very distracted. Um. Yeah, it's it's totally overwhelming. Yeah, I think probably the be- the best part was that when I arrived at the Swedish hospital, they didn't really touch me for a while. Mm-hmm. They kind of let me um, nurse the baby, and they said that will release your your afterbirth, your placenta, because the placenta was still very firmly attached. Mm-hmm. And I ended up getting a shot of pitocin. And, um, which is really funny. Cause like after all this natural birth experience, I still ended up getting Pitocin and, um, because I, I had had no uterine contractions at all. So the placenta was still attached mm. and, uh, yeah, they said, just keep, just keep nursing her and we'll come back for you in another 20 minutes. And it was just very, very relaxed. And I was allowed to nurse her and have her, and they didn't even take her to weigh her for measurements or anything until maybe I was there for two hours already. Mm-hmm. And so there was none of that sort of chaotic, whisk the baby away, measure, APGAR score, like none of that happened. Yeah, It was a complete contrast to my experience in the US. And it was just very calm and very like, your baby is on your chest. She's nursing. She's doing exactly what she needs to do. Your body is doing what it needs to do. We're just going to let it go and we'll come back on you later. We'll check on you later. Yeah. Which is great. That that was really nice. Yeah. That's not only like a really pleasant experience for people, but obviously there's so much evidence that that, you know, that that initial period is, is so crucial in, you know, kind of getting things like breastfeeding going and all of that. Interestingly though, you mentioned that this was the birth where you didn't feel as connected initially to your newborn. So what, how do you, you know, how have you processed that? What do you think were the factors at play there? I I really wonder, and I don't want to discourage anyone from looking at hypnosis or hypnobabies, mm-hmm. um, but I wonder if the hypnosis wasn't some type of, you know, kind of mental barrier between, you know, my body and my mind, because that, that's the whole idea is there, yeah. you know, the whole idea is to separate and keep your body as calm as possible and really turn off your brain and go to your comfort zone, go to your safe place and just stay there. And so it kind of took me out of the present moment, which is the whole idea so that yeah. you're not focused and you're not tense. Uh, but I do wonder if that had something to do with it because I wasn't, I didn't feel, I felt the overwhelm of, oh my gosh, this baby just arrived, like sort of that, like sudden realization that I had the baby and I didn't really control any of it. It just happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I was overwhelmed with that. And so I didn't feel the, oh my gosh, I just had a baby. How wonderful. It was, oh my gosh, I just had a baby. How did this happen? Right. And I felt like I was, you know, like a teenager at prom who just had a baby in the the bathroom. Like what, how did this happen to me? (laughs) Um, So it was, yeah, I, I, it was amazing experience. I wouldn't change it for anything, but I, I was missing that initial connection. Mm-hmm. If that's the worst thing that came out of all of it, it's really not, it's really right. not the worst. <laughs> it's not really not the worst thing to happen. Um, to have a, a healthy birth, accidental home birth was, you know, that that's all I can, can hope for. But yeah, I, I do wonder if the hypnosis didn't play a part in that sort yeah. of initial connection. As you were saying that, I mean, it, that's what I was curious about as well. I, I wanted to like not ask a leading question in that way, but you know, <laughs> it, 
I was curious about that, and and I have heard similar stories of people, whether it was with hypnobirthing or whether they just had like an extremely, like sort of out of body experience with birth in one way or another. That you know the transition and and or people that have really really quick births and yeah, like you mm-hmm, did, yeah. where it's like there's just no ability to actually like process what just happened, you know, and as as you know painful and overwhelming as you know really long protracted and sometimes unprogressive births can be in a way it's like that you're like you're so so like part of that progression and when it's over it's like oh my gosh like all that hard work I did look what you know look what look where we are now I think that that can sometimes be like a more um an easier transition for women sometimes I think so. At least you know what stage you're at. Yeah. You know, at least you know, like, okay. And when you have a medical professional who's there telling you, okay, you know, you're nine centimeters almost there, or, you know, you're you're 10 centimeters push. Yeah. I didn't have any of that. I didn't have anyone telling me how far along I was. And, uh, you know, Swedish midwives don't check during the prenatal visits, they don't check your your dilation at all. and so I had no idea. I had absolutely no clue. I could have gone from zero to 10 in 30 minutes. And uh, I had absolutely no clue how far along I was progressing right. or even that, you know, because my body was so relaxed that yep. things were moving along very quickly. Yep. But I did get to that point where I was, I was, I did get to the point we talked about where like, I'm kind of done. Like I, I was as comfortable as I was, I was like, Ooh, this is getting pretty intense. Like, I'm not sure I can keep doing it at this rate because mm. this is pretty intense and it never hurt. It was just very intense. And it was getting to the point where I was like, this might start to hurt <laughs> because I don't know if I can do this anymore. Yeah. Um, and so that's, you, you know, you would describe it as pain-free. Uh, I would say, comfortable i wouldn't say pain-free i would say like on a scale of one to ten like that pain scale i suppose that like mm-hmm. a two a two or three wow at, at the worst at, at the height of my intensity it was more of an in, a intense pressure of of all of my aches were in my back and so i just felt like my my back was was very achy uh, during during the pressure waves, during the contractions. It was all in my back. Yeah. And so I couldn't really do anything to alleviate that. I just kind of had to stay calm. And I kept swaying on my knees and kept opening my hips and then taking trips to the bathroom and then back to the yoga ball. I just kept doing that over and over again. And that was the only thing that really helped was when I would sort of reach behind and apply counter pressure on my back. That, that helped a little bit, but I was trying to stay relaxed as much as I could. Mm. Wow. But yeah, it was... Pain-free, I guess, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think that's necessarily fair to say for anyone, however, yeah. especially since you had, had some directly postpartum uncomfortable experience. But I do think these experiences are not very talked about. Um, I think that often people who kind of have things go very smoothly tend to not share their story because they're like, oh, it's not interesting. and um, Or, you know... Oh, it was just so random. It would never happen to anyone else. But the reality is it does happen to people. And, you know, it, I have a few friends that happened to them their first time. And oh, wow. it's very, you know, it's very difficult. And, you know, as they approach having more kids, they're kind of like, it was traumatic. Like I wasn't, yeah. pre- I did all this preparation and I was so ready to like go to war to have a baby come out of me. And instead, like I, you know, did it in the back of a car by myself or 
you know, in mm-hmm. an ambulance or away from my husband or my partner or, you know, mm-hmm. or the right people weren't there, like, you know, at the right time. And I think that it's, you know, it's a different, like you said, two very different experiences. Add on top of that, that you had this other cultural experience of care going on and, um, yeah. you know. I think it's good to kind of share this story because it can happen. And I think the way you talk about it, you know, is just, you just kind of kept rolling with it because it was kind of like, well, I have no idea how you do it this way, you know? Yeah. (laughs) I guess we're just going to get in the ambulance now and you're just guys are just going to let me not deliver my placenta yet. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The the Swedish ambulance drivers wanted nothing to do with me. They were like, we are going to get you to the professionals. We want nothing to do with you. We are not delivering the placenta here. And that makes total sense. Like Mm -hmm. that's not the right environment when there's no backup, medical backup. Um, But yeah, I, I think when things are out of your control and maybe maybe it was more helpful for me to be in a foreign country because I did relinquish a lot of control over the situation. Whereas maybe when I, if I was in a hospital, my home hospital where I know the people and I know the doctor. And again, you have this mindset of, I know how it's supposed to go. And I know if things are going to go off the rails or what, you know, like you can tell if things aren't going right, or you kind of have more of a sense of what's happening. Whereas in a foreign country, you're kind of insulated to all of that because you don't really know what's happening around you and Mm. I I don't care how fluent you are in a foreign language during birth you birth in your mother tongue like you birth in the the language that you were born in and that's just because your brain shuts down there's no room for translation yeah and um so your brain is only listening to your your mother language and the rest of it is white noise so you can kind of you know, miss a lot of whatever's happening around you. Hmm. And so maybe it's, you know, a little more ignorance is bliss. Maybe it's not so bad to be like, oh, I don't really know what's happening. So I'm just going to keep doing right. this. And they'll come and tell me when wh- when I'm supposed to do something else. Oh, I'll just stay here. Yeah. So, yeah. so after that initial initial transition where you were finding, you know, yourself just kind of still a little, you know, disassociative almost, um, did you find that then you were able to, to bond with your daughter or did that, was that kind of still a gradual process? It was definitely a gradual process. I think the, um, you know, after, after giving birth, if it's not your first birth at this hospital, I can only speak for this one hospital, but they, um, they don't require you to stay in the hospital. You can stay in a hotel room that's adjoining the hospital, which is really mm. comfortable and, and nice. Yeah. So you're not in a hospital bed. You're in like a hotel bed and there's a midwife on the floor and a pediatrician knocks on your door in the morning. Uh, but we only had to stay, you know, 24 hours. And then we, not even 24 hours, but basically we spent one night there. And that was really comfortable. But then, you know, you find yourself back in your home environment really, really fast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have your, I had my toddler there. And so there were all these other things going on and juggling toddler and newborn uh, was a, a transition as well. It's like, oh, yeah. okay. Like there's a lot going on. And so I, I, I felt like the bonding process with my daughter was much slower and it was really, you know, the first 30 days kind of figuring out, okay, mm-hmm. who is this person and who, who are you and what just happened? It was like 24 hours for us to process the birth. Yeah. And then to really get to know her as a baby was like, 30 days, at least one month. And then it was at least six months before I felt comfortable handling both kids. Yeah. And like that whole, like getting into routine and, you know, the, the first six months were really hard. And, and again, I didn't, I wasn't going back to work. I was, 
at home. I had I was on parental leave and my husband had 10 days of parental leave immediately. And so there was a lot of backup already, uh, but it was still a long process to figure out, okay, who are all the players on the on the the playing board here like what are we doing who needs to be where doing what Mm. and so there's so much to juggle and figuring out like okay how do you go in the car seat and how do you do this and stroller we have a stroller that's big enough and all of that so yeah it was it was a solid six months before I felt like I had my feet underneath me again yeah I I can relate to that too (laughs) (laughs) so well we can we can definitely wrap you know, wrap this up. I wanted to ask you with these, to- you know, I, I read on your website something about, you know, you had two, uh, you know, pain-free, you know, let's use air quotes on that, pain-free birth experiences, one that was medicated and one unmedicated. And from how you've described it, they both sound like they were they were important to you. It's not like you look at one and you're like, that was clearly the ideal perfect experience and this other one was, you know, this negative experience at all you you've really been able to like metabolize them both and experience them both both as positive things so with both of those experiences in mind what would you say you have learned about trusting your body or the experience of birth that's a really good question I think you know my my two experiences were so different and I think it's just for me personally there's no one way to do it and there's no a right way or a wrong way And it's different for every person and even for that same person in different births. You know, Mm -hmm. you're a different person every time you're pregnant. Every time you give birth, it's you're older than you were the first time. And you have different experiences and inputs and other things that are going on. I think that my anxiety level was much lower the second time around because I was preparing and I was doing research and I was being a more active participant mm-hmm. in my pregnancy mm-hmm. in terms of preparing for the big day, preparing for the birth. But at the end, it, you know, all that preparation, it still was surprising and shocking how it ended. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, there's, you really just have to, yeah, listen to your body. I think had I known the first time that my body could do it, in it without drugs. I mean, of course, it, your body can do it without drugs, but you have all these fears and anxieties that that you get nervous and you, you know, I can't, I can't. Mm-hmm. If the second time I discovered I can't, and I want that for everyone. I wish everyone could have that feeling of like, yes, your body can do it. And I know that that's not a realistic expectation or or a goal for every woman, but just feeling your body go through it. It was, it was an amazing experience and having an amazing birth experience doesn't take away from a a, a different birth experience. They're just, they're completely different. I mean, it's like comparing apples and oranges. Yeah. I would say that, you know, the, the way you approach it is all, I mean, I slept really well my second pregnancy. I, I did all those things because I was addressing my my prenatal anxieties and I was feeling very comfortable with where I was and accepting my body and not worried about my weight gain and all those stressors um, that I knew were stressing me out during my first pregnancy I was able to really tackle head on and reduce and that made a huge difference Mm -hmm. and then yeah the birth experience is just going to be a big unknown so you just kind of have to go into it with an open mind and be ready for anything to happen love that that's yeah your experiences really highlight that for sure yeah yeah well thank you so much for sharing your 
your incredible journey with us, Lisa. It'll be really, oh, I think, thanks. really fun and interesting for our listeners to hear. Uh, we will share links to your books so people can check those out. You can find Lisa on her website, which is knockedupabroad.eu. We'll share a link for that in the show notes as well. Um, and we've just loved having you on the show. Yeah, Great. Thank you so much. <laughs> again, just to say, too, for the listeners, uh, these books are full of stories, individual stories, kind of like the podcast of Women Who Live Abroad. Um, I, I have the first one on Kindle edition. Um, so that's available, too. Cool. Great. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Lisa. Okay, everyone. So you're going to want to head over to our Instagram this week. We are doing a giveaway of one of Lily and Jade's incredible diaper bags. If you have not seen these bags, you are missing out. They are just the most gorgeous, stylish, and super functional diaper bags we've ever seen. They are made of full grain leather. They have these incredible removable organizational inserts so that long term you can just take that out and it can be a you know, not a diaper bag, but a lady bag um, or a laptop bag, anything that you really want it to be. Um, That giveaway is going to happen this week. You can participate by heading over to Instagram. The first post will be on Tuesday. That's tomorrow, September 19th. And we'll do the giveaway on Thursday. So again, head over to Instagram so you can participate. We're going to give away one of the Elizabeth bags from Lily and Jade. You don't want to miss it. Thanks for listening to Motherbirth today. If you want to be a bigger part of our community, you can follow us on Instagram at motherbirth.co or connect with us on Facebook, where we have all kinds of behind-the-scenes stuff going on. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show and rate us in iTunes, which allows other people to find us and helps the show to grow. I think it goes without saying, but Motherbirth is a personal podcast created by Laura and Lisa. It's intended as general information. It doesn't constitute or substitute medical advice of any kind. You should always consult with your primary care provider with respect to your medical care. If you're pregnant, planning on becoming pregnant, or in the postpartum period.